Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. This really is a good one. Some very uh, well-known verses in this particular chapter. Uh, as we has been pretty much since we started the book of John. Okay, John 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Notice they're the same sea. In fact, there are, oh, maybe half a dozen or so different names uh, to the Sea of Galilee throughout the Old and New Testament. So it says, he went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now watch this. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew all along how he was going to feed this multitude. And so Philip answered, and so Jesus asked the question, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Now, I don't know if he was exaggerating or not, but, you know, 200 denarii, that's uh, over a half a year's wages for somebody. And he said, man, that would take an enormous amount of money to buy that much food for everybody. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Oh, folks, we do this all the time. We underestimate what God can do with the little bit that we have. A little bit of money, a little bit of time, a little bit of education, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of charisma, uh, a little bit of friendships, right? We think, oh, what could I do? I don't have this. I don't have that. We compare ourselves with others who have more substance, who have more uh, resources than we do. And somehow we forget God does not even need what we have. So whatever we have, here's the... Here's the calculation. Whatever we have, the formula, whatever we have plus God is more than enough. Even if you have nothing, because God himself is more than enough. So Andrew says, there's a lad here with five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. We see in another gospel that they sat down in, in groups of fifties and hundreds. He said, make the people sit down. What's happening? He's saying, prepare them for a miracle. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. The men were numbered at 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, this is, this is part of our problem. We look at the little money we have in our bank account or the little bit of resource that we have, knowing that it's not enough to do what we need to do. And instead of giving God thanks for what we do have, we complain about what we don't have. Folks, complaining does not motivate God. At least it doesn't motivate him to do anything good. It motivates him to, you know, bring a correction to us. God does not like complaining because it's ungrateful. 
He has done and will do so much for us. But notice Jesus. He knows how to work with Father God. Even when he has like just a so, well, let me say it this way. Even when the deficiency is enormous, Jesus gives thanks for the little bit that he had. It says, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise, the fit of the fish, as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted, they just kept ha- handing it out, breaking it off and handing it out until the people ate all they wanted, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, everybody ate all they could eat. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet, so to speak. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. So there's leftovers. Gather them so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. In other words, the leftovers was 12 baskets full, not just five barley loaves and two fish, right? So the leftovers was enormous. An interesting 12 baskets. I mean, you can't help but think that the disciples were saying, there's not enough, there's not enough. Not only did we feed everybody until they were full, but each of us have a full basket left over of fragments. And it doesn't specifically say it was for them, but uh, 12 baskets gives you the impression that Jesus was making a statement to them. God has plenty for them and plenty for you as well. So it goes on to say, uh, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, uh, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. See, this is what we had mentioned in earlier chapters. Jesus said, or or John said, for Jesus knew what was in man. And he would tell people often, he would say, after a miracle, don't go tell anybody. Don't let anybody know about this. And here's why we're seeing it here. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Well, see, the prophecies of the Old Testament prophesied that when the Messiah would come, he would liberate the Jews from all oppression, all tyranny, and he would put the Jews on top, so to speak. He would bring salvation to the people of God. Well, what they didn't discern in the scriptures is that there would be two comings of the Messiah. The first was to save them from their sins by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. The second, and we know that the first and the second are separated, at least to date, by some 2,000 years. The second, those prophecies of of the Old Testament about the second coming are yet to be fulfilled. And yes, he is coming in his magnificent glory. And yes, he is going to execute judgment. And yes, he is going to save all of his people who really are putting their faith in him. So the prophecies, uh, many of them have already come to pass in his first coming and since then. But there are still those remaining prophecies about the second coming that uh, these Jews thought, well, it's all one coming. They didn't They didn't catch that it would be two. So watch this. They came by and uh, 
So therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. When uh, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great windstorm was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there were no saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, uh, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. I'll unravel this for you in just a moment. Let me read a little more. Verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, uh, in other words, what happened was, uh, you remember earlier, Jesus had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. In fact, it states that right there at the beginning of chapter 6. And then uh, the miracle of the loaves and fish happened and such. But then... Uh, the disciples left and the people saw the disciples leave, but Jesus stayed and he went by himself, okay, to pray. But watch this. Then in the middle of the night, Jesus walks on the sea. Well, the people get up in the morning and they're like, hey, now Jesus is here somewhere because we know he didn't go with the disciples on the boat. But then they got into the boats, they came to the other side and they find Jesus and they're wondering, how did you get over here? You didn't get in the boat with all the rest of the disciples. Well, of course, the answer is he walked on the water to go uh, to the other side. And then, of course, in the middle of the lake, he got into the boat with them. And uh, then the storm calmed down and they were it seemed like there was another miracle that happened that as soon as he got into the boat, not only did the storm calm down, but they found themselves at the shore already. So some interesting things happened there. And these people are wondering how this happened. But instead of Jesus answering and saying, I walked on the water, that's how he said, the reason you're seeking me is not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're coming back for some more food. Verse 27. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. In other words, I know you would like me to give you something to eat again, because you know it's not just like there are drive throughs just anywhere around, right? So I know you'd like me to feed you again. He said, what you really need to hunger to receive from me is not the physical food, but the spiritual food that will bring you eternal life. He said, that's the one you really need to focus on. Okay, verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Of course, Jesus is speaking of himself. 
Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. So you have to understand there are several dynamics here. First of all, of course, God did perform the miracle of manna back in the Old Testament with the Israelites that had come out of Egypt and were on their way to the promised land. They were in the wilderness. It ended up being 40 years. God fed them with manna seven days a week. Now, of course, he gave it for six days, but on the sixth day, he gave double. So he fed them seven days a week with manna for 40 years, the miracle. But Jesus just performed a miracle with this group and gave them the five loaves and two fish, and they all ate and were filled. But he's trying to get them to desire the spiritual food that will give them eternal life. Okay, and so now finally, uh, Jesus is saying the, the bread that you really need is the bread that God sent from heaven. And he's talking about himself. Then finally they say to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Now he's saying they don't believe him. Of course, he's right. But notice they're still asking him, show us a sign. Show it. Prove it. Prove it. See? They should be hearing his words and knowing in their hearts, oh my goodness, he's speaking what we understand from the scriptures. He's speaking the words of God and believing him, but they're not doing it. They're asking him to prove it. So he goes on to say, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. He's talking about of all the people that the Lord has given me. So Jesus is saying, the Lord has put, Father has put certain people under my care, and I don't want to lose. I should lose none of them. Verse 40, of course, later he's going to say that, he lost one, the son of perdition, talking about Judas. Okay, uh, that'll come, uh, I believe, in the 17th chapter, verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So notice what he's saying, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, this is going to provoke those that don't believe that he's the son of God. So let's see what happens. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, Jesus is saying, uh, he said, don't murmur among yourselves. Look, if the Father does not draw somebody, they can't come to me. In other words, God has to open their heart, open their eyes 
to who Jesus is. And evidently their eyes have not been open or have not yet been open. Okay, it goes on to say in verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they, and he's quoting, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you were really learning from God, not just learning the Bible, if you were really learning from God through the scriptures, then you would come to me because you've been listening to the Father. You're used to listening to his truth and his words. And therefore, you would come to me. Verse 46, not that anyone... Uh, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Well, I mean, that's just as clear as can be. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat it and not die. He's saying the manna, oh, that sustained them physically but it didn't sustain them spiritually and give them everlasting life. Jesus is saying, I, on the other hand, am the bread of life that have that has come. And if you partake of me, of my life, then you'll have everlasting life. So it's going to give you a lot more of a benefit than just that manna. Okay, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, of course, he's talking about giving his body on the cross to die. But when he said, the bread that I give is my flesh, well, the Jews knew very well that God had forbidden cannibalism. They're not supposed to eat human flesh. So as soon as he said, the flesh, uh, the bread that I give is my flesh. So because they're not on the same plane with him, they don't understand what he's talking about and they don't really believe. Verse 52, here's what happened. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood. Now, listen, he's talking figuratively here but they don't realize it. He said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So he's talking about you have to partake, but he's talking about a spiritual partaking. They're not really going to cut Jesus up and eat him, of course. But Jesus is saying, but you really have to partake. You really have to bring me into your life. And what the, my flesh sacrificed for you on the cross, you're going to have to really receive that. The blood that I spill, you're going to have to allow that blood to wash you from your sin. So in other words, you're going to have to be all in. You're going to have to go all in. So that's why he's talking about it in these terms. Okay, verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, let me tell you, I've been to this synagogue. And of course, there's a synagogue excavated there in Capernaum 
that's on top of another synagogue. The one on top has white stones, but the one underneath has the dark stones. And that's the the synagogue that's believed to be this one where Jesus taught when he was there, the one underneath. It says, these things uh, he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand this? Talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. Now listen, he's bailing him out here. Listen. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some uh, of you who do not believe. So he's really letting them know right here. I'm I'm not asking you to literally eat my flesh and drink my blood because the flesh profits nothing. He said, it's the spirit who gives life. I'm talking about something spiritual. And the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. They are pneuma and they are zoe. See, they're spirit and they're life. You need to receive these words and believe these words and consume these words, eat these words, drink these words, including the gospel about his flesh being crucified on a cross and his blood being spilled for sin. You need to eat this gospel. You need to consume this gospel. And if you don't, buy it. If you don't buy it, if you don't eat it, if you don't consume it, if you don't believe it, then you won't have everlasting life. This is what he's trying to tell them. So the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him, talking about Judas. Okay, verse 65, and he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Listen to this, verse 66, From that time many of his disciples, not talking about the twelve, talking about the larger group of disciples, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. See, sometimes we don't understand everything that Jesus is saying. Our minds can't comprehend it. But we're supposed to believe in our hearts that though I may not understand all of the details, boy, when he speaks, I just know that it's true. And we're supposed to put our faith in him and believe in him. God's just, I mean, just face it, God is smarter than we are by you know, leaps and bounds would be a tremendous understatement. God is just magnificently, exponentially smarter than we are. So we're not going to maybe understand everything that God is saying, or maybe we'll understand it as time goes on. But we need to believe him and put our faith. Well, this from this time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Watch this. You think Jesus ran after them? No, guys, you misunderstood. Don't leave. Uh-uh. No. Jesus is saying, look, if the Father's not drawing you to me, if you're not willing to go with what I'm saying, walk away. And here's how we know that. When all these people, likely it could have been hundreds, dozens, but it could have been hundreds that walked away. It goes on to say, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Jesus is not going to compromise for anybody. Jesus is not going to beg or force anybody to be saved. Do you also want to go away? 
Now listen to this. This is another thing I love about Simon Peter. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Isn't this powerful? Lord, where else would we go? When you speak these words, not just these words in this chapter, but Lord, the words that you speak, these words have brought us eternal life. Who else are we going to go to? You have these words. Boy, he was right on the money, wasn't he? A lot of people get on Simon Peter for opening his mouth a lot. Uh, but don't ever get the idea that everything he said was off. There were some things that were off, certainly. Jesus even said, get behind me, Satan, one time. But no, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He's not talking about Peter this time. Of course, he's talking about Judas. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Oh, what a powerful chapter. Thank God for his word, and thank God for the Holy Spirit enlightening us to help us to understand these truths. Let's continue to stay in God's word and let his word, his words are spirit and his words are life. It's not just knowledge. It's spirit and his spirit through his words. That spirit comes into us and gives us faith so that we might have eternal life. Thank God. Thank God. All right. Well, I'll see you for another great chapter. John chapter seven. Oh, there's a few doozies in that one that we can't miss. Be there tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.